In today's episode of the Iman Wire podcast. There is a masculinity that is a gift to not just every family, but to the cosmos, to the whole world. That is an expression of power, of majesty. It's an expression of vigor. But I think what we're taking issue with here is the use of that power to control, exploit, to denigrate our partners from amongst the female, you know, the female gender. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Iman Wire podcast. I'm Mohammed Salim from Iman Wire. I'm joined today by, by my co-host uh, uh, Irfan Nuruddin. And we have a special guest with us in the studio today, um, uh, Sheikh Mohammed Mendez, who is the founding director of uh, Sacred Service for uh, Human Liberation. Sheikh Mendez is, is, is joining us today um, on an interesting topic, I think, that is something that maybe we haven't been, uh, as a community, talking about uh, specifically, but it's something, a trend that we've seen of, uh, of our notions of masculinity, especially as uh, we are in, you know, engaging the broader society. And I think to begin with uh, the discussion, perhaps maybe we should look at what in our tradition, Sheikh, uh, Sheikh Mohammed, if we go classically, the concepts, the spiritual concepts, even linguistic concepts of what Rijal means, what does our tradition tell us about what being a man is or masculinity? Is there anything that is in the tradition that tells us, that gives us some, some clue about what are the, the elements that go into this concept of masculinity? Bismillah. Yeah, first, uh, I want to say salam alaikum and you know, thank you for having me on, your, on the Iman Wire podcast. Uh, the Quran is rich with uh, guidance about masculinity and femininity as archetypes, as you know, cosmic patterns of the dynamic interplay of opposites that we have in the universe, and the uh, teachings, the wisdom of uh, our beloved Prophet Muhammad, God bless him and grant him peace, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, uh, is also replete with you know tremendous um, guidance with what manhood and womanhood truly represent, you know, at, at all levels. And, you know, Allah says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, la ba'da'udhu bilayhi min ash-shaytan al-rajim, in surati yaseen, subhanahu ladhi khalaq al-azwaja kullaha. Transcendent is the one who created, you know, pairs of all varieties of things, right? And so... You know, we have good and evil. We have, you know, north and south, hot and cold, dry and wet. We have uh, the human and the jinn. <clears throat> uh, we, we have hell and heaven. We have the firmament, the skies and the earth. We have all these opposites around us and within us. And the male and the female are really the quintessential pairs. And uh, when we look at the, the, the writings of Imam al-Ghazali, for instance, or the writings of Muhyiddin um, ibn Arabi, for instance, we see, we see a lot of um, uh, focus on masculinity being an expression of God's attributes of majesty, of power, of protection, uh, of terror and rigor, and that femininity is an expression of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, of beauty and grace and, and love 
and nurturing compassion, right? And uh, Imam al-Ghazali, in his book, uh, Maqsad al-Asna fi Sharh Asma al-Husna, he shows how, you know, these attributes of, he calls them Jamal and Jalal, right? Beauty and majesty. Uh, when they are... Um, when they are accepted and perceived together, they lead to what he calls kamal, perfection. And there are certain names of God, the names of perfection, that point to his essence, like al-haq and al-hay. Right? So all of these names, majestic names, graceful names, perfected names, all come to give us a, a more complete knowledge of God. And likewise, the masculine principle and the feminine principle make us more complete human beings. Now, on that point, there's an interesting scholar who took this from Imam al-Qazari, and looking at this, he saw as an archetype for the sense of beauty in the prophetic history would be akin to Sayyidina Isa, particularly because of his close association with his mother, Sayyidina Maryam, and that in the sense of majesty, in this kind of uber, like, not machismo, but this type of sense of a certain archetype, it was Musa salam who brought the law. So the spirit in the law... And then when he was asked about Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu he said he's Kamari. Yeah. He brings both yeah, these types of absolutely. beautiful attributes and majestic attributes, yeah. the masculine and the feminine. And what's interesting about the feminine in, in Islamic history and art, you know, mosques like in an Ottoman Turkey, these mosques look like fortresses. You know, there's right. definitely some sort of positioning of power, yeah. right? But inside the finery, the, fl- the floral tiles, mm-hmm. it's very feminine. It's balance. It's yeah. a balance there. Right. In recent times, though, there seems to be this kind of disbalance. Mm-hmm. So to kind of take the analogy of beauty and majesty in terms of the divine names, is this something akin to like the yin and yang, these two complementary parts? To maintain balance, there has to be this complementary understanding. And I guess one of the more central questions to this then, and I think what Selim was alluding to, is when you look at the tradition, how did the Prophet look at women? And, you know, one of the hadith that's well known is that I love three things of this world. One three, is that, three things were made, were made beloved to yeah, me. Yeah, were made beloved to yeah, me. The yeah. itar, women, right. and the salah. Exactly. And the apple yeah. of his eyes was the salah. And people look at the hadith in different ways. And I wanted to take a jump off point from where you mentioned Ibn Arabi. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he had commented on in references, I believe it in his futahat, he mentioned mm-hmm. that the height of contemplation in the divine attributes of, of beauty is actually contemplating the beauty of women, right? Which is a very well, not, controversial. Not, yeah. Well, well, he says the the he says woman that a a man's knowledge, contemplation of God is completed in his contemplation of the woman, because uh, again, you brought up the yin and the yang, right? The yin feminine uh, principle, energy, and the yang masculine. When you look at the 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 symbol of the yin and yang within the black swirl is a white dot, and within the White swirl is a black dot. And what that's communicating is that even within the masculine, there is feminine. And when, within the feminine, there is masculine, right? And this is expressed in the anatomy of the human being, right? Because the human and the male and female anatomy are actually mirrors of one another. Just, you know, certain parts of the male body are pronounced where certain parts of the female body are more um, uh, are, are are less pronounced, and vice versa. That which is pronounced on the female body is more pronounced, is less pronounced on the male body. And so, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 
God bless him and grant him peace. He truly transcended uh, gender uh, stereotypes and he embodied the archetypes. So he was the most fearless, the bravest on the battlefield. His shoulders were broad. His stomach was flat. He was muscular, right? But at the same time, his hands were softer, right? Than, 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 than silk, right? He was more bashful. Right? He was more bashful than a virgin in her chambers on her wedding night. So he balanced the masculine and the feminine. And really, that's the, that's the, the calling uh, for not just Muslims, but for every human being. I think that really hits it because the tradition, our tradition, our spiritual tradition, is, it elevates both. Yes. It's, and I think our discourse today tends to push against one or the other, exactly. push against masculinity right. or push, push against, against femininity. Yeah. And it, right. Islamically, you know, uh, the feminine uh, qualities or those those archetypes were always elevated or they, yeah, they were right. classically elevated. And as you alluded to first, just from the, the Jamali and Jalali attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Jalali more connoting with male archetype uh, yes. like uh, and, and theme archetypes. And then with the example of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa where he was... Uh, you know the strength or the the, the izza, uh which were typically seen as male of archetype qualities and the haya and the modesty or rahma uh, the, the compassion and, sh- um, and shyness like intense shyness yes absolutely and uh, and I, I think it's yeah. interesting actually um, something that uh, I I uh, one time Shaykh Mukhtar Magrawi was 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 teaching a lesson about um, uh, Surah Nur um, and it's interesting after. After the, the, the famous verse in, in Surah Nur, Allah Nur Samawati Wal Ard, like immediately after there's a seamless transition into speaking about as a, as a parable for, for human beings, it, it discusses about um, the houses being remembrance of Allah and that these people uh, remember Allah in the, in the morning, in the evening. And the next verse, it says specifically Rijal. And he was pointing out, he says that these, these Rijal, they do not let um, trade, merchandise and and trade distract them from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he was making a point to us in this lesson that the rijal here is, it's a, it's a quality. It's not this, uh, that you are a, a, a male uh, exactly. male gender, but it's yeah. a quality. And so, and that's why sometimes in classically, for example, they would say, uh, that there was, there was, that yeah, she exactly. was a rijal amongst right. the women, just like, or like say we say men amongst boys. It's right. not like they're both exactly. male, yeah. but there's, there's a person who has, he has a man, his has qualities of that rijal, that, that, the quality in this, in this verse, as he was explaining to us was that we are, we do not let anything dissuade us from the remembrance of Allah. And that is, I think that's sort of where we, where, at least in my, in my view, that really that that's this any concept of masculinity mm. is going to be of of being rigid rather than being a bro right. is 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 based in that uh that 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 essence it's really actually interesting you bring that up i remember we were on a trip with uh, one of our trips that we do with al medina mm-hmm. and one of the scholars was commenting on a sister and she was here and he said who are rigid you know that she's and it was because of this this verse that you mentioned, this idea, and we know about Rabia, Al Adwiya, and mashallah, all of exactly. these yeah. women unknown really to the community yeah. in a lot of sense, but they were just known as spiritually that they had this. And I think a lot of people may look at that statement, like, why are you calling a woman a man, right? And not, and see that as somehow a, um, 
as, a, as almost like a put down on general femininity. This yeah, because you're validating that these are the exceptions. But that's to also norm. because we we don't see like if if I call someone that you know you are you have rahma, you have compassion. That is a feminine quality. Right. And that's something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing every verse, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, right? We don't consider it like, uh, the, I mean, it's from rahim, it's from the womb. And But if we were to say that like, that this man has has rahma, yeah. um, it's not as if we're saying, oh, you're like a woman. No, you have that 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 beautiful feminine archetype quality. Yes, the same thing right. as if you're saying about a, a woman being called of, of that that beautiful archetypal male quality. It's not exclusive to male or female, but it's a it's a quality that transcends the gender. It's but just something that archetypally it's you know uh, goes with those attributes we we're talking about. And I just want to actually we we had written an article and it brought this point. There was an article that was written on Iman Wire, I believe in 2015 or 2016 about Islam, right. the mm-hmm. latch religion of man. And one of the points that the author made in that discussion was that he wanted to bring out the idea of displacement, mm-hmm. that the type of situation that we saw in the 2016 election cycle was the displacement supposedly of white males mm-hmm. and that the candidacy of Donald Trump really spoke and hit a nerve with that core segment of the population. Right, right. And at the same time, we saw that there was this type of reaction to decades of progressive pro-feminist rhetoric you know what yeah, they not call just not just pro-feminist anti-male anti-male rhetoric right yeah and that this was simply just yeah, a reaction to exactly. that exactly and i and that the author yeah. wanted to bring out the fact that the same thing is said about the muslim community because there was a study done that overall in america all religions are losing male participation. I wouldn't say adherence, they may believe, but participation in churches particularly is going way down, and particularly in Catholic churches. And one of the reasons why, when they did the study, they realized when they asked the men, they said, well, we go, and they only talk about qualities that resonate with women. There is no sense of the warrior. There's no, you know, beating of the chest. There is no sense of bravery. And so churches now, like I have a friend of mine, and they've actually made a point to have male sermons, male-focused sermons. That'll get you out of services in time to catch the, kick, the first kickoff. Right. Yeah. And it's amazing to me that they're they're saying, "Hey, just come, and we'll get you out of here before twelve o'clock." Before twelve. Before the sequence. Which so is exactly yeah. opposite to what the verse was saying. We're talking about. It's like don't let anything distract, distract you. Right. Don't just, yeah. not just trade, but Super Bowl or. Whatever. And so what they're doing is what we've seen the Muslim community for a long time is they're putting in popular culture, but popular culture references that would only re- really resonate with men. Sports analogies and that type of yeah, thing. Of and actually, you know, to give some context, you know, mm-hmm. the, the title of the podcast, you know, we we termed it including this alt bro movement, and we were talking right. about blinding. There's uh-huh. no such thing as an alt bro movement. And before we get like you know messages of what you're talking <laughs> about, but the idea is yeah. based from this uh, uh, recent analysis of of the alt right movement in that as one of its recruitment tools is to really focus on this the male insecurity of today and to to recruit. Um, males into that movement not through the lens of specifically saying of racism yeah. or white supremacy but to, to specifically the supremacy of of males of, of white males and it does that by really getting uh groups together you know like we were talking offline like you know, sometimes you're in certain like whatsapp groups or something like that and it's it devolves sometimes into just this male like you know beating chest as you were saying right. yes. saying you're fun uh, and, and that's how actually they've done some uh um Looking into the the all right movement is that they've actually really really uh, gone after that that male uh, 
that manosphere as, as one of the articles discussed and 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 really encouraging that that male locker room behavior right I mean, yes. banter <laughs> yeah. yeah that banter and that yes. and that sort of pushes it and then pushes it and then you start talking then you and then you start thinking like well yes anti anti-feminism anti-woman you know what's best you know because everyone feels that they've been disenfranchised even the most powerful people feel the disenfranchised in the yeah. segment of the population and it's really building off that male insecurity and I think it's important to talk about where these conflicts are more manifest. And I think when we look at the the um, discussion of Muslims in America, it's been noted through some research studies that in the last 10 years, we've seen a rise, as much as we've seen a rise in women participation in boards, we've also seen the marginalization of that role, almost the tokenization of that role. And we've also seen the type of conservative notions of gender take a more extreme form. I'll give a, you know, and, and they've, 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 they've been mentioning the idea that these barriers are being placed in mosques, you know, at a rapid rate. So a lot of times new mosques all of a sudden have this very conservative bent. And it's said, oh, no, this is because the women want this type of, um, you know, barrier there, whatever it could be. And that's possible. I mean, there's no doubt you're going to have people with more conservative notions and that want that privacy. But it becomes a flashpoint. And I think what's really important here is that at the end of the day, Muslim men, as people who are maybe seen or marginalized or feared within the greater society, as they kind of retreat to the mosque space, the sense of displacement that, and I think that white American males may have felt through all of this, that sense of displacement is also happening in the mosques. Well, yeah, and I, I think that, um, and to go back to, to, to that alt-bro idea, the idea behind it is exactly what you're, you're speaking of in that certain uh, people with influence our community are seeing a general broad attack on Islam from liberalism, from all these isms, and they want to push back. And part of the one of the best ways, um, uh, I'm not saying this is a tactic. I'm saying this is just natural. You're going to push back against, uh, you know, what's what is perceived as these 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 threats to our Islamic identity and and, and ethos is to is to really focus on this masculine pro protecting and elevating our masculinity again. So you get this pushback against um, women friendly movements or feminism or whatever liberalism. Yeah. Now let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Why is that happening? So, th there is a, a reaction. You know, the pendulum, the pendulum swaying right. all the way to feminist and, um, you know, for better or for worse. I mean, there's some I, aspects I of the. I think it's what because Irfan was saying that the, the men are starting to feel disconnected with their their own spiritual spaces. Well, they're losing power. Uh, I'm losing power. So losing power perceived, not so real. It's power. It's power. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So the fear you're talking about is related to this anxiety about losing authority, mm -hmm. losing power. And the vacuum that we have right now, especially in the Muslim community, but it's a wider, it's a problem of wider society, is that our identities are not rooted in our divine uh, in our divine uh, nature as spirits created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're looking for identity in religion or in politics or in culture or in our genders. And while those are layers of what makes you you, mm -hmm. it's not your essential reality. And the role of religion, the role of faith should be you know, the word religion, according to some etymologists, means to bind back, right? To tie you back. It should be to reconnect you with your origin. 
And that's, I believe that is where a lot of um, our uh, imams and scholars are failing, is to show people that you have something within you that's more profound, more subtle than your gender, mm. than the color of your skin, right? Than your political, uh, uh, the you know, whatever side of the political spectrum you happen to fall. And essentially, we had that discussion last night. Mm -hmm. We talked about spiritual identity and trying yeah. to get that. And I think one of the, you know, we did get a, a lot of these parameters, these classifications, because identity, you know, has this idea of sameness, right? Yeah, right. And so everyone latches onto whatever label, gender, race, religion, and all those things. But there's something quite transcendent about it that over, overall is more meaningful to us. And, and those things are. should take you there. Right. Your gender so the, the, the way that Imam Ghazali, Ibn Arabi, and, and, and not just Muslim sages, but sages throughout the history of the world on, in, of different religions, uh, that your, you know, your contingent relative um, identities with the small I should be a, a ladder, should be a means to take you to the identity, right? So another point on this is just a lot of the you brought up the failures of some of the imams and leadership to really bring people to this understanding. Mm -hmm. And I think what then happens is that the mosque will inevitably and it has become a place of identity politics. Right. And so what exactly. happens, which we don't really want, that's not really a conductive, you know, that's not really conducive to the space, nor is it really going to be productive for the community to have that. Particularly when you look at Muslim rights. So one of the reasons in the in the Pew study that noted that while male participants had fallen, except for Islam, it should be noted that because there is explicit commandment for men to attend Jummah prayers, and there is not necessarily that commandment for women based upon the circumstances that many women may find themselves in, whether it being uh, you know in terms of caretaking and right. these other responsibilities. Right. Exactly. But when you have more and more and more women who are in the professional workforce and yet still don't go to Jummah, that is another problem, and the board never sees their right, presence. Right. So how can they ever actually ever call for equality when they're not there in the space, you know, so to speak? And I'm not saying the mosque is limited to Juma, but if we just look of course, at it, yeah, yeah, but that is a, a huge. I mean, that that goes on the other side of the coin. But at the same time, there has to be, as you mentioned, something genuinely coming within Muslim males, fathers, brothers in the community that is not seen as something that's being put upon them from the outside forces and pressures of, a, of some sort of Twitter account or something like that to become more women friendly. But there is something that needs to be part of our own construct of marwa. Yeah, that we have to be that libas, you know, that we have to have that understanding of that, you know, a lot of our sisters are going through a lot just to be who they are, you know, walking in the streets representing Islam every day like a flag. They're on the front line. And then yeah. we ask them, right. be on the front line, be that professional, do all these amazing right. things, be the that symbol for us. But when you come to the masjid, when you come to the mosque, get yeah. in the back and be quiet. Yeah. And that's not going to work. First of all, that wasn't how the community of Rasulullah, Sallallahu Wasabi, functioned. Right? And then secondly, um, it is, it's, it's just, it's, not in harmony with human nature. And we're going to, and we already are, you know, I know Muslim women um, who either have, who are unmasked, mm -hmm. right? Or have left Islam, you know, because of what you're talking about, what you're describing. Yeah. You I mean, know. I'll just tell you as a father of a daughter, 
it becomes very heightened my awareness of where I take my daughter to pray. Sure, same here. Because I want to, yeah. at, a, at such an early age, she's still four years old, but I right. want to make sure that she understands that the mosque is not a place where she has to be relegated to the back and these types of things. And it's it's been very troubling. I would say that the places that I pray personally, right. I would yeah. never take my daughter to, like right. from Jummah yeah. and these yeah, that's a big problem. And Jummah is a big problem because I mean, just recently I had a discussion with some other national leaders, and there is uh, this discussion happening. You know, a lot of times when males hear about an all female Jummah. Oh, this is like instant knee-jerk conservative reaction against it. Rather than being introspective and being like, well, either that's good because people are going to pray, right? Isn't that the end, end game? People are praying. The other side of it is that it's because but there was a reason why did that Yeah, why did they do it? Exactly. There, there wouldn't be a need for all female jummas if there wasn't an all-male jumma culture. <laughs> and it's almost like white yeah. supremacy. They just don't see it. Yeah. They're like, what do you mean? No, no, we welcome everybody. Yeah, but you got a room with no air conditioning. It's 100 degrees up there. And, I mean, that's not welcoming. And, and trash on the floor. And, yeah. You know, and, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, you mentioned this off, offline, that the concepts, the Islamic concepts of manhood, uh, when we talk about futuwa, which is this, like, it's this chivalry, it's youthful chivalry that champions the cause of tawheed, the cause of, of, uh, affirming the, the absolute oneness of the divine and, and beautiful character through selfless sacrifice. That's what Futua is, right? Of body, you know, of mind, of soul for others, uh, of Muru'a, right? Which again is this concept of noble, honorable conduct that defines what it means to be a man. Mm-hmm. If 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 our concepts of masculinity are rooted in that, in the ayah, that men, which is often misinterpreted, men are the uplifters. They are the supporters of women, not in a, a patronizing sense uh, or paternalistic sense. But why? Allah tells you, right? Later on the ayah, that because of what he's favored some over others with and what they spend of their wealth and that and because the women are devoutly obedient qunut in the quran is always to allah ta'ala mm-hmm. but that ayah you a lot of times is given the tafsir that they're obedient to their husbands hafidat lil ghaib and they are guardians of the unseen and unfortunately a lot of times it's interpreted to mean they are security guards for their husbands property when their husbands leave. And when you look at the life of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, that was not their function in the in the household of the beloved of Allah. Mm-hmm. They weren't guarding his property. He hardly had property. And then so they're guardians of the unseen. And th- this Sheikh Abdullah Adhami used to talk about this a lot. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That women My wife always reminds me of are this right. <laughs> if you're in the nineties, of course. You heard the you heard he, this. No, this he song. he's he really was the most consistent yeah. scholar with on this message. And and um that women are are spiritual anchors for the community. And the one of the primary roles of men after their duty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to ensure that women are supported and uplifted so that they can serve that role as spiritual anchors and guardians of the unseen in whatever arena of society they choose to serve in, whether that's in the home or outside the home. She can be a guardian of the unseen. But that also speaks to a more 
and I know we're going to talk about more real life things, but this sure. idea of like this, the, the whole spirituality of this, though. Right. I mean, I think one of this the is things, really right. yeah, this is real. This is real. I'm not the hakika, but I just wonder, just real quick though. There's you know people forget, and I just want to make this one point. Sure, Layla and Selma. Right. The as Salim alluded to early in this podcast, and as you've talked to about the Islamic tradition, the metaphor for union or relationship with the divine is a relationship with a woman. Right. And I think that's interesting because oftentimes we don't understand that there are issues that men have, insecurities we talked about, but there are those types of hurdles in their ego that make it make spirituality much more of a, of a riadat, whereas there is something naturally nurturing, loving. There's the functionality that... I want to say yeah. all women have, but, that's the, but the, the, there's a receptivity. That's what re- yeah. is all about, receiving. Right. Well, I think also that's you like know? something that like yeah. Shikha Abdullah Dami, uh, I remember that, uh, you know, when uh, in the, the main times he's spoken about yeah. this was that, that the Quran, for example, always reminds the, neg- the typically negligent one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it reminds children to be obedient and to mm-hmm. be kind to their parents mm-hmm. because on average, parents are typically going to be Pretty right. good to their children, right. on average. Of course, average, it's not yeah. always. Yeah. Some, but most yeah. of the time, uh, you know, we're always dealing with the majority. Uh, the parents don't really necessarily be reminded that um, specifically. Uh, so uh, that he mentions this, that in this context, that same way that men are reminded in the Quran right. that they are to be supporters of, yes. of women. Or, for example, in the in the verse of the Baqarah, where where it says about that the the daraja, the daraja, yes. that that degree is is a degree of of fadila, of, exactly. of that selflessness that you're talking exactly. about, that selflessness, and sacrifice, I, sacrifice, yes. right, and. Actually, I um, one time I, I just started reflecting here. One time, that verse was being recited um, uh, in, in the salah, and when the reciter said daraja, he he connected daraja to Allahu Aziz and Hakim, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, it was like. The first thing Allah says at the end of that verse is Allah is Aziz. I am the I Allah am the Aziz. Hmm. So don't get in your mind Not that you. this is that this <laughs> position you're being put in out of yeah. uh, which is based on your selflessness yes. and your sacrifice, that should not be connoted in any way with uh, your own feelings of grandeur. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the Aziz. And I think that, you know, to go back to what we were discussing about the um I, I think a lot of the problems are really rooted in our own insecurities as men mm-hmm. that we are not number one on the front lines, but we are also not being that mm-hmm. uh, that chivalrous rigel right. that is um, that is really doing the things that really makes us who we are as men. We're we're not basically uh, emulating the quality, our most intrinsic quality of yeah. the. Of that spiritual level of being selfless and and, and sacrificing for others, and, and, and chivalry in the West was rejected by women because a, a lot of it came from a place of seeing women as weak. Right. And that's not what chivalry is about. Chivalry is about honoring the feminine. Chivalry is about showing reverence and even veneration, ihtiram, for the feminine. It's not that you can't open the door yourself. You can open right. the door, right? A lot of women, you know, uh, are stronger than a lot of men, right? Especially if they, they're, they're in the gym, right? And they're working out. Uh, but it's about honoring that secret, that which goes back to what you were mentioning from Sheikh Mohid ibn Arabi, that the woman uh, is an expression of the divine qualities, the divine attributes, and, and, and mercy, rahmah, Loving grace is essential. Rahman is synonymous with the essence of Allah Ta'ala. And women have a direct connection 
to that. As you mentioned with the Raham, the womb, and that womb is connected to the divine throne, right? And so the essence of women is a, a beauty and Allah Ta'ala's mercy outstrips his wrath. So there's, and if you look at the divine names, you'll find more names of mercy than names of power and majesty. So the, a woman is a, is, a, is a door to greater love in the world and not romantic love. I'm talking about uh, the kind of, you know, what is rahma? It's, it's, it's nurturing love. It's protecting love. The love a mother feels for her child. That's what men need. That's what men need to address their insecurities is that you are okay. In that sense, as you are with your imperfections, and, and, just, and, and that ties into the yeah. the, the hadith of uh, you know of, that was made to beloved to me to the, the yeah. prophet so yes. it, about women. It's those those qualities that is those, what he those loves. Qualities Allah Subhanahu wa Taala puts yeah. in women, right. and those those uh, jamali uh, attributes of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. It's what he loved. In that hadith, "Hubiba ilaykum min duyakum atib wa nisa wa salah." Here, you know, you have. Him saying, I was made to love perfume women and the, what brings tears of joy to my eye is the prayer. You have something spiritual at the beginning, right? Thib, perfume. It attracts angels. It assists in awareness. You have something spiritual at the end, the salah. So how is it that so many people, so many scholars have interpreted his love for women being physical? Right? He, sallallahu alayhi Absolutely, right? He he married women, you know, he had relations with women that we know about. He satisfied his women sexually. But this hadith is teaching us something more profound. For him to be made to love something, mm -hmm. he's telling you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him that love. There's a quality. Yeah. And Allah I think, loves qualities. Yeah, yeah. Allah doesn't look at our heart, our forms, but do you, or our wealth. But do you think the problem sometimes yeah. is because Muslims are historical people, yeah. and so some of the things we talked about. But sometimes yeah. either his contemporaries they wanted to essentially, you know, out of adoration and maybe in reality. Mm -hmm. But some of the narrations that may seem problematic, like you mentioned, the sexuality of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Like a lot of times, these narrations are like, "Well, he could satisfy all," you know. Like yeah. but this is, you know, this feeds into a sense of machismo as well. And I think that should be noted. And one of the issues, in a sense, in a let sense. me just say this on that yeah, point yeah, since yeah. you brought it up. Yeah. So, like, there's a great scholar from uh, what's now Nigeria, mm -hmm. Imam Abdullah Ibn Fodio, the younger brother of the great Imam Uthman Ibn Fodio. And he mentions in a, a book um, that I used to teach called uh, Masalih al Insan, the well being of the human being, mm -hmm. that when a man uh, satisfies, and this could go either way, mm -hmm. man, husband, or wife, when a spouse satisfies the sexual need of their, their partner, that it should be done with the intention of sadaqah, of charity. It's, a, it's an act of service, right, to, to their partner. And so, yes, there are people who would see the Prophet ﷺ virility as being another expression of this machismo, or it's used to promote that. But also, you know, he is, again, expressing his charitable, loving, giving nature, hmm. you know, to uh, in that relationship with his wives.
And I think it's important that Muslims understand this. I mean, obviously, we have a lot of conservatives. Oh, very, very, yeah, so these types of discussions may strike people as being somehow disrespectful, and it's not the intent, but it's just to disclose what really feeds our psychology about how we view ourselves as men. And one of the things I remember talking to a scholar about this, and he had mentioned to me that one of the issues was a, a failure to appreciate people in their own time, mm-hmm. that we have brought our own philosophies, right. any ism, and we've ascribed it to these individuals from the early period. True. So we see oftentimes that Aisha is held up as being this feminist, leading an army, right? All of that, right? And this, and at the same time, seeing that Khadija is being yeah. sold as being this like lean-in corporate entrepreneur, yeah. Yeah. right? You know, so these are not realities with his with with the history at the time. No, no, and that not. was the case. And why does she need? The same the Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and why did she value him as right. being trustworthy? It was because right. she was being ripped off repeatedly and repeatedly, right. because she was limited in that society as yeah. a woman in her ability to do her to run her her own her own business. Exactly. Yeah. And I think one of the problems that he mentioned was that you know when I, he goes when I walk into a mosque, I see a lot of Umar's radiallahu anh, and there's nothing against Umar radiallahu anh, right. but he was one archetype amongst many. Yes. I see a lot of Umar's, but I don't see a lot of Ali's yeah, anh. I don't see a lot of Abu Bakr's. You know, there is this Omar yeah. and certain scholars who really opine that viewpoint of what a man should be, stern, you know, yeah. scraggly beard, you know, unkept, like this side of but, Islam. But even so, I mean, I want to challenge you on that because Me too. the, the <laughs> ideas of Omar are very, <laughs> I mean, if you skewed, look. Skewed, yeah. No, very skewed. He was that very powerful, yeah. strong man, but he was yeah. also someone who was very gentle with his, with his family, you know, he would... I know there's something where sometimes he would actually cook for guests and, yeah, and things like yeah, that. Yeah. So even our concept of, of Omar, even our concept of Imam Ali, for example, yes, like Imam yeah, Ali, like you know, yeah. who's seen as this, who was this, this 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 great man, this great you know masculine figure, spoke about in terms of who you are and what you are as a man. It's like it's what your women say about you. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That you know that's really the, the core of it. And so I, I want to ask us. I mean, like you know, going back to where we are right now is like you know what are women saying about saying about us? Uh, and I think that's really feeding into a lot of the. Uh, Come on, Celine, we're gonna make this positive discussion, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean that really is like you know I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but uh, you, you uh, just I wanted to just push back on that. No, I, I actually, because yeah, I think we this, have these concepts of of who these people were historically, even. Um, even and I, of course we know the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sallallahu he was in the service of his family when he was at home. Exactly. When he used to, yeah. he, then he used to leave and go for the salat, and he'd come back and he would be in service. And we know. Yeah. And, and I feel that sometimes, Sheikh, yeah. we we talk about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and we hear that he he did all these things at home. He mended his own shoes. He was you know, and he was this. this just this beauty, this everywhere he was, but including in his home, we listen to this. I don't, but I don't quite understand why we as men it, it just doesn't translate. What do you think is the barrier that keeps that from translating that from an intellectual um, understanding? Yes, Cult- I know that culture, the prophet culture. Culture. I thought it was because I hear my wife tell me this. Thing. Culture. Well, no, it's a, it's culture. It's 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 normative. Um, standards in our communities and yes so we relate these shama'il right these mm-hmm. ahadith of his you know beautiful you know traits uh but it's more of um it's done in with a devotional sense mm, right right it's done out of uh, uh to you know satisfy the yes. devotional imperative within our hearts not to implement right. you know not to translate it into action now, when we do start translating th- these beautiful hadiths you just uh, mentioned, you'll see tremendous um, 
improvement in how our women see us and how the wider society sees us. I, I want I want to um, since you mentioned culture because. And I'm not anti-culture. You know, no, no. Culture is no. a mixed bag. Or a culture. I mean, it's, it's, there's good in every culture. Right, and there's right. things that are bad in every culture. And, and the, the Quran helps us to, to, you know, to separate the wheat from the chaff. So, and I think by, by culture, what I want to actually go to specifically is the culture in a typical fam- in a certain family. Because all families have their own sort of subcultures sure, in terms yeah. of gender dynamics, right? Yes. So, one thing I, one thing I think you'll, we'll see uh, is, for example, you'll come across men who were around either their fathers or their brothers who, let's just give an example, who did things a lot, a lot of things around the house, you know, helped their, their mothers or sisters out in their house. Um, and hence, uh, they saw that growing up. And then, they, and then as they, they grow up and they become adults and they marry, uh, they have a certain expectation. Um, they don't have necessarily the same expectation that like, oh, my wife is going to do all these things for me because no, I saw my father doing all those things. And I find that happens traditionally. I've seen like generations where that's sort of a tradition in the family. Like it's like sort of the way uh, the, 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 the husband and wife interacts and then the, the kids learn from that. And so those, a lot of times those, those men, they, they tend to be, uh, um, try to emulate these qualities of service uh, yes. in terms of the home, for example, of the specific example. But what about, there's also those other um, families where just that's the way they were brought up and there's no fault in them, but they saw that, you know, the, 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 the wife served the husband, you know, uh, and the, the husband pretty much didn't do much of anything, you know, and, and from really a cultural reason, but that's just the way that was in the family. And then they see that and then they get married and they have this expectation because they, they never saw there. And then we have, uh, then they get married to someone who's, living, you know, in a certain, living in a different family. And they have, that woman has an expectation that like, hey, you're not helping me out. And then this man has this expectation of like, well, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. Or like, this is, I never saw my father or my brothers do this, or older brothers do that. And I think, and I want to ask you, both of you, is there needs to be some way of, of how is that broken, I should say. I mean, like uh, some people, I think, break out of it, uh, uh, but I'm not sure. Like, what is the the mechanism to break that cycle that just goes family to family to family over generations? Um, you know, it's interesting. I think, like, in my own situation, and be careful with my words here. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I saw my father do a lot, and I, in one way, I think he did a lot more than I did. But I do feel that at that time, and you have to remember, I always tell my my other, my friends and my, my wife about this. If when you look at fathers today, and we go to work, we take care of our kids, we do the pickup, we may do other things as well, right? We do more as fathers today than any generation of Muslim men ever did. I don't know, and I mean that's just a reality. In terms of the logistics of child yeah, rearing, child rearing, yeah, the involvement. Yeah, right. That being said, I do think part of that is the reality of modernity, the dual income families, and all of that where everyone's working. But it's also to be said that. I remember seeing my father do a lot of things at my mom's request, you know, and I remember my mom at the same time having a very supportive and understanding when things were stacked down, you know, when the, when the chips were down, my mom was there to support my father. So I remember that that had a deep engraving for me. And I think part of it is situational. So what happens, I think, from one generation to the next is that the context continues to change. And if people are not adaptable and in realizing that prior expectations have may have a relationship, but not any more than the reality that they find themselves in. And what I mean by that is that for my father's time, I think he was, you know, he was there. He was doing what he was supposed to do. But in my time, 
it's not there. I can't talk to my dad about the stresses of putting on diapers because he never he never changed the diaper, and he told me that. <laughs> you know? I can't talk to my dad about the stresses of trying to do my daughter's hair in the morning and her not liking the style and wanting it in pigtails. Yeah, I feel and, you there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I've, you know, th- those are things that just are not going to connect. But because that were, those were things that he did not have to do, tasks that he was not necessarily purview to. He did other things, maybe things I don't do anymore. And so I think it's just to be understanding of the time and the place. And I, you know, my scholar taught me like that, Half of knowledge is knowing your context. Nisraqal, half of intellect, their surrounding. And that realizing something that Imam Ali said, that when he would give parenting advice, you know, when you're talking to your kids, you should realize that they don't live in your time. They live in their time. And I think that's something that if you have a maturity about that, then the parity, you're never going to get to parity. The dynamics of a gender relationship, mother, father, and children, is that there are just different strengths that a father has and different strengths that a mother has. And so you're never going to get 50-50, but you got to work with that the best you can. And it's a constant involvement. And I think that more than anything else, that idea of constant involvement is something that's very different than previous generations had to deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. The, the cycle is broken, I think, first and foremost, by people being honest when they're in an unhealthy dynamic. How do you know you're in an unhealthy dynamic? Uh, your health, your physical health starts to fail, right? You start starts to get compromised. Your mental health starts to fail when the dynamics of your family, and I don't think it's a, you know, I don't think it's uh, one size fits all, you know, cookie cutter approach to how, you know, husbands and wives should interact. Uh, I, I think that each couple, each family, needs to find what works best for them. But you have to become very good at recognizing unhealthy situations, toxic situations. And when those, when, when those, you know, show themselves to you and when you're aware of them, then you have to, people have to have the humility. You know, they have to look deep down inside and say, look, this is not working. Even though we've done it this way for the past seven generations, even though everyone on the block, everyone in our subdivision does it this way, everyone in the country does it this way, this is hurting our family. <laughs> Secondly, the re- one of the wisdoms why we have the prophets and messengers is so that we can break unhealthy cycles in our families and in our communities. hasana. <laughs> Right, you have in the messenger of God the best, the most beautiful of 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 balms, right? Of 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 examples, because his example is a healing, right? Uh, and then lastly, uh, I think that every family, not just the husband and wife, but the, the family, children, parents, grandparents, need to become good listeners, and uh, we need to learn the art, the art of communicating effectively. If I'm just... That's difficult for men. It is. Yeah. It is. Well, men, I think, I think men communicate... Differently. Differently. Yeah. I don't... You know, men communicate with each, with each other all the time. But a man, two men might, you know, be in a, a car ride and be silent. 80% of the time, but they're communicating. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's vibing. Right. It's vibing. Right. So yeah. I, I think women communicate, you know, they, they have their own modes 
of communication and men have their own modes. I think we have to encourage men to, to tap in to their masculine modes of communication. I'm just reminded because I- And teach each other each other's language. Like women need to learn that language. I was getting- Men need to learn women's Nailed for not being communicating, you know, or maybe over communicating some things that- probably aren't important like Islamic philosophy but there's other parts of it like my wife like well what did the doctor tell you and I'd be like oh, he's he's doing well and she's like that's not what I'm asking like how's your cholesterol I was like I don't know we just talked about sports <laughs> so you know like there is that um, unfortunate reality that men sometimes look at the world a very different way and you know and I think that sometimes that there's a, a cognitive okay. dissonance that's yeah that's okay. fine yeah that's completely fine but there's a cognitive like dissonance yeah. of the sex is not necessarily understanding how each other communicates or right, how they exactly. interpret or the the type of signals of language yeah I, I think the getting. problem is that you know you yeah, you want to stay in your comfort zone so if yeah. you only understand a certain way of communicating or understand a, a certain way of living or a certain way of being with your family right, right. be a certain way of being with your masjid with people of opposite gender sure. or whoever um, and you don't want uh, and that's and you can do that, but to really to go back to that, to go beyond, to have that nobility, that 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 fatua characteristic, you have to be willing to to go outside that comfort zone, and because that's selflessness, that sacrifice, you're sacrificing your own comfort mm -hmm. a little bit to try to to try to help uh, the people around you. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you know we're we're going to be closing up soon, but I guess you know, and we'll get I'll get some advice from from you, Sheikh, about this, some final advice, but. Um, would it be fair to say that, okay, yes, you know, going back to the, the issue that we started at the beginning where, we're, where there's this pushback against liberalism or feminism or certain isms um, and has resulted in a certain hyper-masculinity mm -hmm. for, for some people in our community, um, we're not necessarily discounting the issues that these philosophies and, and movements pose to the um, you know opposed to our community and that we have to maintain our principles of Islam we can do that but we uh, but would you agree that we can also do that but we can explore and masculinity as well in doing that but that it's, that masculinity is not um, that that's that's going to be rooted in this the spiritual masculinity of, of what you were alluding to before so it's not necessarily that, that just because like I know some people might listen to this and be like, "Oh, these are like you know, this is like voices of effem like effeminate men." Or yeah, that's what I'm gonna say. Yeah. No, it, you know, some guy listening right right now is saying that this is what's with these guys. Right. But yeah. I think the challenge is that no, we can be real, real men, Rijal. Yeah. Like real. I just want to say something. I know that Salim is like PX90 oh, hardcore. <laughs> I mean, this guy is working out like all the time, and you know, as someone. I, I think what needs to be understood it just, and on this point, I was just thinking the same thing. There's people that I know who like to talk about gender rules. I mean, there's people that I know that have been divorced because they felt that they were not given the proper mm. placement as a father, as a husband in that family dynamic. Uh, there are people who will say, well, look, all these women, they just don't want to listen and this type of thing. And you're, and you're seeing this more increasingly. And there's even people who've taken second wives because of this issue too. A friend of mine who's an academic and very open about her situation, I guess maybe five, 10 years ago, we had a conversation about it and I gave my views like, you know, there's a certain level of immaturity there. Basically on the verse that we mentioned about responsibility, about sacrifices that men have to do. And that reality is that like, you don't have enough paychecks to do that with two wives. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, there's an economics here. And so one has to be um, somewhat more mature. And it does seem to me that as men may say, oh, these guys are just liberal. They're just yeah. sissies talking here about, you know, how we should just be quiet, sit in a quarter and just be sacrificing. What mm -hmm. about my manhood? And I think part of that is that we as men have to understand there is that this is a threat 
to a certain extent, depending how you view it. But at the same time, there's an opportunity to really grow as men, to really step up and be the attributes of rijal, the attributes of marwah, these types of Islamic principles. But more importantly, reclaim fatua, the sense of chivalry. You know, I think isn't that really? Yeah, I mean that that that, I mean, that's that, that 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 it's that that challenging ourselves to 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 do that, uh, and like to go back to you know what you're talking about, like you know we're so focused on these rights, and, and you know men don't do that in our tradition. There's we're, our right, our 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 intent is to be that yeah that that exemplar of selflessness. That's what our that's what we should be focusing on, and when we talk about. Like oh like you know it was like my wife is not like we'll talk about the 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 hadith where you know the ungrateful wife right yeah. well maybe it's just oh because, that's a, that's a favorite yeah, yeah. yeah exactly maybe it's just because you haven't been doing that those uh, exemplar of selflessness that would elicit that gratitude from you know your 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 wife or uh, so you know I think it just goes back Sheikh and and you can close us out here um, to give some final advice on on this issue uh, about. You know what? Again, what we need to do as as men, what we need to do as 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 women, as a community, to try to you know find balance in our uh, concepts of gender and and gender um, relationships in our community. Yeah, well, I think I, I would I'd say you know when you all were speaking, I, I thought of um, there's a, a Christian pastor who's also a marriage kind of guru, Mark Gunger. He has a video called A Tale of Two Brains. It's hilarious, but he, he talks about the male and the female brain. And I, I think that I don't want any listener to be uh, confused about uh, you know the, what I think our thesis here is, that there is a masculinity that um, there's a gift you know, to not just every family – but to the cosmos, to the whole world, that is an expression of power, right? It's an expression of, of majesty. It's an expression of, uh, of uh, vigor. Uh, I, but I think what we're taking issue with here, and I, I feel like all three of us are on the same accord, is the use of that power to control, exploit, to denigrate um, our partners, you know, mm. from amongst the female, the feminine gender, you know, the female gender. It's, you know, and what Futua and Moru are all about is using that power to help, not to harm. And, and uh, I think any Muslim who's, you know, committed to living uh like the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi following his path, his sunnah, uh, this is paramount, right? That that being a man is about, uh, you know, providing, uh, producing, and protecting. Um, we live in uh, a culture now where a lot of men are provided for, where a lot of men, instead of being producers, we become hyper-consumers, right? And instead of protecting our families, we have given that um, primary responsibility to the government, right, to law enforcement agencies, which have their place, right, which have their place. Uh, but, you know, spiritual material protection and production and, um, uh, you know, provision should be paramount. I think that men, there, there is a healthy, uh, I don't know what you would call it, masculine movement that's growing, especially among Christian men, 
right? Uh, art of manliness and um, the way of the superior man, you know, other, other books like this uh, and movements like this are, I think, helping to cultivate a new masculinity based in old values. And I think a lot of our brothers in the Masjid, masjid um, and, and outside the Masjid, a lot of Muslim men should uh, pay attention to these movements and, you know, take what's good, leave what's bad, and, um, you know, connect that with what we know from the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet uh, and, and develop our own um, indigenous ideas, you know, about what it means to be a man in, you know, 2017. That's not a reaction. You know, that's, I think that's key for me. That my masculinity is not a reaction to what the feminists are doing, you know, uh, whether they're feminists that are, you know, anti-male or feminists that are just about women's, you know, rights. Uh, it's not a reaction to, um, uh, you know, any uh, thing that's outside of who I am at the deepest level. So may Allah Ta'ala give us understanding. May, may Allah Ta'ala, you know, bring harmony uh, between the two genders because they're both ultimately signs of Allah Ta'ala. And may we realize that our masculinity um, is, a, uh, is a window, you know, to our true identity as uh, the Khalifa of Allah Ta'ala on the earth, the vicegerent of God. So thank you so much for having me. Mashallah, thank you very much. Thank you, Sheikh Muhammad, for being here. Uh, we hope to have you on again sometime. And uh, to all the listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, visit imanwire.com for the latest articles and podcast episodes. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us your feedback. Leave a review on iTunes. Um, you can tweet at us at imanwired or uh, email us at imanwire at alnadineinstitute.org. Thank you again for listening. Assalamu alaikum.